Dave and Ryan's movie review and action. Everyone loves going to the movies. And while some are amazing, some are awful. Fortunately, we have Dave and Ryan, two guys with nothing better to do than watch movies of today and movies of yesterday. So get your popcorn ready, silence your phones, and relax, because the show is about to begin. Cue Dave and Ryan in three, two, one. It's Dave and Ryan's movie review. Sponsored by nobody. Welcome into another edition of Dave and Ryan's movie review. Take 26. 26 of these things. Wow. That's, yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot. And they haven't told us to take a hike yet. Well, yet. not in so many words. <laughs> yet. All right. So we got a lot to go on today. We went and saw a very good movie. Yes. A great movie. We'll talk about that. Uh, but before we do anything, we got to go to Hollywood. Welcome to Hollywood Boulevard, the place of glitz, glamour, and dreams. Just kidding. This place is a dump. That's why Dave and Ryan come here each week. You get the news from Hollywood without fearing for your life on the Walk of Fame. It's This Week in Hollywood. All right, so if, you are, if you're a big Dune fan and you've been waiting, you got some good news because Dune 2 is arriving sooner than expected. Uh, Warner Brothers and Legendary will now debut their film on March 1st, 2024, which is two er weeks earlier than its previous date of March 15th. Uh, the movie comes after Universal moved Ryan Gosling's The Fall Guy from March 1st to May 3rd, creating a gap, and theater owners were eager for Dune to fill it. Now, here's the thing that we need to remember. This movie was actually supposed to have been out already. Yes. Yeah. It was supposed to be released October 20th. Uh, they kind of stopped everything because they didn't think they were going to have Zendaya and Timothy Chalamet to do any kind of press because of the actor strike. And uh, if you remember back to when the first one was released, uh, it was COVID. Yeah. So to, it's, uh, it's one of those pandemic streaming. things. So uh, interesting Did you to like see. The first one? I thought it was good. I, it, I enjoyed the story. Like visually it looked good, but I just think it was just a little meh. Yeah, and I never honestly got into the f the original original with like Sting and Kyle MacLachlan and and all that. The, what did that come out of in the in the, like the mid late eighties? Yeah, something and, like and that. Then there was a TV version that Sci-Fi did. Yeah, yeah. I never really got into it, but it was okay. The cast was pretty good. I I just think that it, you know it was you know blowing a lot of smoke. It's a tough story to tell. Yes, it is. It really is. But you're right. It looks stunning. Yeah. The first one looks stunning, and I don't see why the second one wouldn't. Uh, Doug Lyman is set to direct and oversee development of Paramount Pictures' reboot of The Saint. Uh, Reggae Jean Page, who was in uh, Dungeons & Dragons and also uh, Netflix's Bridgerton, has been tapped to star in and executive produce the studio's imagining of the movie based on the early 20th century novels by Leslie Chartres that featured a mysterious man named Simon Saint, or Simon Templar, excuse me, uh, taking down various bad guys. I don't know if you saw the one that came out in 97 with Val Kilmer. Um, yeah, I did. I did. That one wasn't too bad. It was. It was I a liked, very good one. And it was actually a TV series before that with Roger Moore in the 60s. So I, I'm interested to see what they do with this one. 
but you know, come out with some original stuff, man. I, I'm I'm always good to hear about reboots and things like that if I think they're necessary. I don't know as though this is a necessary movie. Well, I I don't know if you know necessary a a reboot it was in order, but maybe a remake. Maybe. You know, you know, update the story to modern days. You know, and it might be. And, and you know, when the when it came out in '97, there was talk that they were going to try and turn it into like a James Bond type franchise. Where any actor could kind of play him after a you know a series of, of films and, and stuff like that, and now what we got 25, 26 James Bond movies. Yeah, yeah, I I, I can see them trying to do something like that, but it I don't know. It and, just and here obviously we are. It didn't work out. And here the world is waiting with bated breath for them to announce who the next James Bond's going to be. Oh snap! I I'll tell you what. I didn't think I was going to like Daniel Craig, and I did. Yeah, he was amazing. He was an amazing Bond, an amazing Bond. And I think the one, the the person that I look at the most on this one is my wife is a huge Sean Connery fan. That's the only Bond that there has ever been. Yeah. Roger Moore doesn't exist. <laughs> Pierce Brosnan, Timothy Daly, George Lazenby, none of those guys existed. And she was very skeptical of Daniel Craig. And then we went and saw Casino Royale. And you know the scene I'm talking about where he comes out of the water in the little teeny bathing suit and he's completely and totally ripped. He won. (laughs) He won. And that's what I told her about Daniel Craig as James Bond. He was one of those James Bonds that's like every other Bond needed gadgets, but he was built like if he didn't have a gun, you kind of felt he was going to be okay. Well, yeah, well, um, Daniel Craig's version of Bond was a younger Bond. He was. Where in the other movies, he he was already established as James Bond. And, you know, nice. Or 007, I nice. should say. There you go. Nice segue to that. Jason Bourne may be born again. Universal is developing a new take on the action franchise with the director of All Quiet on the Western Front, Edward Berger, taking the lead. Uh, the Hollywood Reporter has confirmed the newborn project is in the early stages of development. Uh, this this movie, these movies really kind of made Matt Damon an action star. Yeah, I, honestly, I think they made one too many. You know, he was in he was in three of them, and then they switched over to Renner. Yeah, to Renner, and then uh, now I guess it depends on who's going to be right, and we haven't got that far yet. As far as who's going to so be. So is it going to be a Jason Bourne movie or is it just going to be. No, it'll be Jason Bourne. Bourne. It'll be Jason huh. Bourne. So we'll see where we go with that one because I will be straight up totally honest right now. I've never seen one. What? Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, you watch the first one. The first one is amazing. And I was going to say, and you know what's even sadder than that? My 81 year old mom has seen them all and loves them all. Well, obviously you don't take after your mother so with I, good movies. I will take her advice, right? She didn't go sit through Thanksgiving either. All right. <laughs> Top five at the box office this week. Hanging in at number five, down from number two, it's Five Nights at Freddy's with $3.5 million, bringing its total to $132.6 million. Uh, Thanksgiving, first time out, $10.2 million. The Marvels drops from number one to number three with $10.2 million, bringing its total to $65 million. Still a very good movie. Still a great movie. Uh, the Trolls Band Together comes in at number two with 30.6. And then the movie we went and saw last week, The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, comes in with $44 million. And, and 
Once again, I think we talked about it last week a little bit, and I'm going to talk about it again this week. Everybody is talking about, oh, what a huge drop for the Marvels. It's just, it dropped, the box office was terrible this week for it. It was up against three brand new movies that came out. Yeah. The the Hunt. Every little girl is going to go see The Hunger Games. Definitely. And every little girl is going to go watch Trolls. They want to go see Trolls. Yeah. And there's probably going to be a few older women to go see Trolls, too, because NSYNC. NSYNC's in it. That's right. (laughs) But I I just get tired of people ragging on these movies. Go see it and make your own decision. Yeah. Uh, In fact, on this last week, uh, last weekend, uh, last Saturday, um, I was... uh, at Smith shopping and uh, someone, you know, came and talked to me about movies and he said he just went and saw the Marvels, him and his whole family. And they loved it. You know, it's, there's no agenda or anything. It's just a good, funny superhero movie. It is. And you know, I think that maybe, well, if the Marvels, not that they would ever do this, but if the Marvels came out in that slot that Marvel has just kind of owned, you know, the, the end of April, first week in May, if it would have come out at that time period, the I, I don't know as though other movies would have opened around it. Do you, does that make sense? Yeah. Because people like for a while there, and that's what maybe is making me think that maybe the bloom's fallen off the rose a little bit, but nobody would even come put a movie out when a Marvel movie was coming out. No, not at all. They would wipe everything clean for at least two weeks and then we're good to go. So... But that's that's what I always say, you know. But you know, we we also talked kind of about the fall of superhero movies. We have, as well. we have, and, and that's the other thing too is we always say it. You know, we come in, we tell you what we thought of the movie. Yeah. But I'm not going to sit here and tell you don't go see this movie. This movie is terrible. No, well, you draw your own opinions. Well, I wouldn't recommend seeing the Flash. Well, <laughs> man, I thought we'd buried that one. It needs to be buried. Uh, I think it was, and here you go resurrecting it. Hey, the year's not over yet. Once again, we got a closet Flash fan over here. All right, <laughs> so today we're going to be talking about Napoleon. Great movie, and in the same vein as Napoleon, we're going to talk about period movies. Movies that are specifically made for to be in a certain time period, uh, like this is when this took place and that kind of a thing. And then we're going to revisit a, a topic that we haven't talked about for quite a while, uh, CGI versus practical. And we're going to kind of let Ryan handle that one because that's his forte. He Yay. loves talking about that stuff. So we'll talk about that. But before we get there, it's time for an honest movie review. Welcome in to another Honest Movie Review. Today we go back to 1997. It's the American epic romance and disaster film, Titanic. Listen to me, I've got you. I won't let go. Titanic was called the ship of dreams. And it was. It really was. Trust me. I trust you. While watching this James Cameron masterpiece, I thought out loud, will the damn boat just hurry and sink? I have to pee. I can't wait to speak with you again next week. All right, so once again, keeping with the theme of period movies, (laughs) Titanic, good or bad, was a period movie. 
It was, it was. And honestly, at the time, I didn't think it was too bad. You know, it was the first uh, movie that, you know, came in a two-box set. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, got a, I got a quick joke. It's a quick dad joke. Uh, you ready? No, you told me this one earlier. You ready? What do you get when you cross the Atlantic Ocean and the Titanic? I hate you so much, Dave. Halfway, Ryan. You get halfway. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk about <laughs> Napoleon, so stick around. Everyone on set, shut up. Shut up. These two buffoons are about to talk about a new release. Dave and Ryan's movie review, segment one, action. What's more exciting than a brand new release to the movie theater? According to Dave and Ryan, nothing. They're the first to see it, so you're the first to hear about it. So we went and saw this movie this week, and I'm going to tell you what. It's worth the price of admission. Going to set you back about two hours, 36 minutes, almost just about the same runtime as The Hunger Games last week. Except for this one's more interesting. This one was more interesting to me, and as I told Ryan, uh, you know, anytime you want to throw history in a movie, I'm going to sit down and watch it. Because yeah. um, I like to sit and learn stuff from movies. Yeah, and, you know, a lot of these type of movies, you know, they're most of them are known for not being like historically accurate. It's true, but I think this one, I think this one, kind of hit the nail on the head. It's true, and what this is is it's the story of Napoleon Bonaparte, and I I went into this movie kind of with the same notion in my head that everybody kind of has that he was this horrible, tyrannical emperor person that just saw everything and wanted to conquer everything. And by the end of the movie, I walked out of it thinking that this really is a story of a guy who really loves his country. Yeah, well, like we we talked about this after we watched the movie, you know, the victors write the history. So, you know, of course, they're going to make him be out to be the bad guy. And and I, I had mentioned it to my wife, too. And she's like, well, yeah, he was this, this and this. And I said, yeah, but at the end of the movie, you look back and it's like he just loved France. Yeah. And he wanted to do everything he could to, you know, create a better France. And so you've got that love story, plus one of the greatest love stories of all time, Napoleon and Josephine. Yes. And you come to realize if that's if that part of it were accurate, he wasn't really a nice guy to her sometimes. Their relationship was weird is the best way I can describe that. You know, all, you know, we, we talked and it seemed that Napoleon was a little submissive around her and she, you know, she was more dominant um, <laughs> when he was snorting like a pig. That was kind of weird. I think honestly <laughs> that Josephine was the only person on the planet Earth that could get him to do something. Yeah, uh, I Watching that movie, I would have to agree. I, I would think that. But it kind of starts with him just being a plain soldier, straight up soldier. Uh, it starts with uh, Marie Antoinette losing her head. Yeah. And one of the reviews that I read on this is that people, the, the guy that reviewed it kind of just said, you know, everybody's sitting there watching this and it's this big beheading in a town square and everything. But from him, you just get the feeling, well, it's a Tuesday. Yeah, everyone's, you know, cheering and screaming and yelling and throwing things. And he's just kind of just sitting back, kind of taking it all in, just watching, you know. So, yeah, he just kind of looks at it as this is just kind of almost he looked at it as kind of in disgust, really, because it's just like, you know, look what we're doing as a country. And then he kind of goes in and dresses down the members of Congress or whatever they're the 
the proletariat or whatever it is there at one point. Parliament. But you realize what a brilliant statistician guy this he was. Tactician. Tactician. There we go. That's the word I was looking for. Yeah. Yeah. He, he was uh, asked by the uh, person who was in charge of the army. Um, they needed to take back a city from the British who had invaded because they at the time they saw France as weak. And so uh, basically he said he'd do it, but he has to do it his way. Mm-hmm. And uh, that uh, towards the beginning of the movie, he, he almost died in that battle. Um, he came very, very close. There, there's a scene where something happens. I won't tell you. Peter's gonna get, Peter's gonna be making phone calls. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> yeah, but uh, he ends up uh, storming the the ramparts with his men, and uh, they they take the little keep that uh, the British the fort. are in. Yeah, the fort that uh, it's kind of overseeing the harbor for the town. And he said, "You don't take the town. You take the fort, and the the town will come next." And the great thing about it was, is he takes over this British occupied fort and then he turns the cannon on the British Navy. Yeah. <laughs> their own destroyed cannons. Destroyed all their ships. But, you know, you look at, you see things like that and, and you see things as, and, and there was a part at the very end of the movie that the guy told, makes when he's out there fighting with his men and the guy's like, he can't help himself. And I'm like, I don't think that that was ego. I think that he was with his men. Yeah, he was leading by example. He was with his men. He was out you there know, on the battlefield, you know, there, right or wrong. There, there's a part in the movie where um, he basically, uh, a big group of uh, soldiers are coming to arrest him, and basically he convinces them you know, to join him, and they do, because they have that love and respect for him, because he's not in the back. He's on the front lines with them. He's fighting with them, and you know, basically he's a comrade. He definitely was, and uh, led by example, most 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 certainly. Um, yep. Then there comes the time, as I said, this is a love story between him and Josephine, and it gets to the point where um, Josephine cannot provide him an heir, because that's what it's all about yeah. in those days, is providing him an heir, giving the country an heir, and she can't provide that for him. And once they decide that it's on her, it's not on him, and it's an interesting way, but... <laughs> Once they decide that, he has to divorce her. Yeah, he divorces her, but he still loves her. He still loves her. You know, he sets her up in a nice house. Takes and, care of her for yeah, the rest of her life. Yeah, and he goes and checks on her. Yeah, and there was the point at the very end of the movie, you find out what she still got when he got exiled. Yeah. And I think she got the house, servants, and like I think it was, was it a million francs yeah, a year? Yeah, it was a million francs. And back in that time, that was a lot. That's a lot of money. So he made sure that she was taken care of yeah. for the rest of her life. And it, it goes back and forth with these two. Um, probably one of the most strange parts of the movie is after he's divorced her and he's moved on and his new bride gives him a son he takes the son to meet her. Yeah. And it, it, that's just the way their relationship was. Yeah. Well, he still loved her, you know, and she still loved him, even though she did a few bad things, but he forgave her for, you know, doing basically wronging him. And I think at the end of the day, they looked at her or she looked at it as, you know what, I've, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it for the country. If not, that's how he made her see it. Yeah. Um, and that was one of those those parts in the movie where you're like wow this this is kind of rough yeah, I, th- I think at the end i think she she really loved him mm-hmm. because l- like you said earlier she was probably the only one to make him do anything that could yeah 
that could get him to do, you know, what she wanted him to yeah, do. But, and uh, you know, their whole relationship was, you know, a little weird. Like when they first meet, he was very vague. He didn't even want to know her name. No, no, didn't want to know her name. And it's just it shows their relationship growing into what it was. And as I said, what it was was one of the greatest love stories of all time yeah. between the two of them. Yeah, there was a lot of, uh, I would say, like a lot of cat and mouse. Very much so. Um, the one guy that kind of popped up in this, of course, Joaquin Phoenix does a brilliant job as Napoleon. We mentioned yes. the fact that uh, I see probably an Oscar nomination for him in this if one. If he doesn't get an Oscar nomination, I will be surprised. Probably an Oscar nomination for Ridley Scott and maybe yep. even a supporting actress for Vanessa Kirby who plays... Uh, Josephine. I can also see a cinematography one as well. Maybe. And and then Rupert Everett shows up out of nowhere at the very end of the movie <laughs> yeah. and plays one of the main, you know, one of the main villains in the end of the movie. Well, as far as he's concerned, but as far as Napoleon's concerned. But at the, I, I got to say, this was a movie that we hyped up. We wanted to go see this the yeah. minute we knew it we was coming. We both wanted to go see it. We were very excited when we could find, I was excited anyway, that we got to find, when we found out this was coming that we could go see it. I gave this one four and a half out of five buckets of popcorn because it is that good. It really is. And is. this is a movie that's two hours, 36 minutes, doesn't play that way. Does not. No, there are no parts it of the movie very smoothly. There are parts of the movie that seem to drag on and that are a little disjointed, like I told you at the very beginning. But after that, and after it gets into it, it's an unbelievable movie. And it's, it's great that you can go in and learn history. Now, that's the dangerous part. Don't take it as gospel. Because there are some things in this movie that are a little different than what really happened. Yes, yes. Yeah, for me, um, I gave this movie five buckets of popcorn. Uh, the cinematography was amazing. The acting was outstanding. Um, you know, the camera work. Uh, overall, everything about this movie, I just really enjoyed. And it's probably one... I don't really... Uh, some of the movies we watch, I really don't don't go and rewatch. Re this is definitely one I will go and rewatch. I will do that too. I told my wife, I says, we're going to go, well, you and I are going to go see this one because yeah, it's, 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 it's that good. I want to go see yep. it again because I'm sure there are things that I've missed, but we need to go back yep. in and dive back go into it. Go see it and, it and see take again. your friends. Most definitely. Once again, rated R for mostly violence. Yep. There is very little nudity, very little language in it. But there is battlefield violence. There really is. So if uh, you know if if that's what you want to see, then you're okay. But that's that's probably the main reason it's rated R. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of battle scenes. In there this. are I know, like most historical ones. They have like one big battle scene and then like nothing. There was probably four big ones in this movie. And and not Waterloo, of course, because we all know what happened there. But the <laughs> one before that, I'm going to tell you just the spoiler alert frozen lake that's all i'm gonna say yeah you uh, it's on it's on the trailer that is unbelievable yeah and that the, the mind whole, the whole setup for the that. mind to come up with that yeah. so go see this one napoleon in theaters now all right coming up we're gonna stick with that kind of theme and i've got two and ryan's got two and we're gonna talk about period movies because there are some really good ones out there when we come back hey idiots we're back from commercial Dave and Ryan's movie review, segment two, and action. Dave and Ryan's movie review. Okay, so staying with the the Napoleon theme, 
we were just talking, as a matter of fact, if you can hit a period piece movie and and nail it tr- pretty true to facts, chances are you're going to get an Oscar nomination. Yes, yeah. And, and both of the movies that I have picked won Oscars. So the ones we're going to talk about, but we're going to let Ryan go first. We flipped a coin and I won, but I deferred and told him <laughs> to go ahead. So we're going to let Ryan go first. What you got? All right, so for my first uh, period piece movie, I went with Master and Commander, Far Side of the World. Now, this stars Russell Crowe, Paul Bentley, Billy Boyd, and it's directed by Peter Weir, and uh, the cinematographer is Russell Boyd. Now, this is one of my favorite movies. You know, uh, Russell Crowe is a British uh, captain of a ship, uh, and this, this actually takes place in the Napoleon era, so coincidence maybe <laughs> but uh he's following this uh ship uh down around south america and um they, they you know they end up calling it the phantom because it comes in during the fog it shoots at you know it destroys ships and then it disappears um but you know this is their uh story about finding the ship and they chase it all the way down around the uh, uh around the horn of uh south uh, america there and uh you know, it's a it's a great story between Russell Crowe's character and Paul Bentley, who plays uh, the ship's doctor, where they're childhood friends. Uh, he be, uh, he be, Paul Bentley becomes a doctor and a scientist, and uh, Russell Crowe is basically you know a ship captain who's dedicated to the service. And um, you know, they go to the Galapagos Islands, and you know he's uh, discovering animals. Uh, Paul Bentley's character is. And uh, they find the ship, and they set up this ruse to basically uh, appear as a whaling ship, a British whaling ship. So when the uh, French ship comes in to, you know, take over, they don't, you know, it's a whaling ship. They don't have any guns, so they come in, basically, hey, if you don't give up, we're going to destroy you. And when they get close enough, battle occurs. Um, so... Honestly, if you've seen this movie, you love this movie. There was I know there was talks about making a sequel for many, many years, but it just never happened. And it is a shame. Well, and I, I told you I had to come clean. I have this is another one of those movies that I've seen bits and pieces of, but I have never put it all together. Don't worry, I'll slap them later. But the parts of it that I have seen look amazing. Yes, it is it is it is definitely amazing so i i i just I, I see this and it's just like that uh you know the open sea adventure and battle and it just looks really good to me and i've never seen it together but i need to spend some time and watch this one i'm taking it i guess yeah, you definitely need to watch it you know you know, it's not just about the the two main characters you know there's a whole shit full of people that you get to know um, there's a, a little kid who's a basically a cabin boy trying to become an officer and he loses his arm and one of uh, it's one of the more graphic scenes is when they have to cut the arm off because it's it's uh, getting gangrene on it and so they cut it off um, and basically he's you know he's still working the ship you know he leads the charge in the end battle so you know it's really kind of a, a movie it's not just about Russell Crowe's character it's about the whole ship so it's worth it's worth sitting around and watching this one definitely definitely all right so my first one. I've seen multiple times, and once again, this is one of those, this is a remote trap movie for me. A remote trap. If it's on, the remote goes on the, on, the, on the TV stand, and we're sitting there and we're watching the whole thing. And it's 2000's Gladiator. 
This one, of course, is rated R. Also starring Russell Crowe. Also starring Russell Crowe. And you know what? We've kind of made it a circle there because Joaquin Phoenix is in this one. Yes. As well as, I'm sorry, but you know what? It's probably one of the saddest moments in that whole movie when Richard Harris dies. Yes. Richard Harris is unbelievable. Uh, it has to do with Russell Crowe's character, who was a, a a general in the army and had was told by Marcus Aurelius, who is Richard Harris, that when he passes on, he is leaving everything and bequeathing everything and control of the empire to him. He loves his son, who played by Joaquin Phoenix. But he can't be trusted. Yeah, well, he, he was supposed to dissolve the emperorship and give and it back to the people. And he was going to do that and give it back to the people. That was the whole basis of the whole thing. Um, and so, of course, Joaquin Phoenix gets wind of this and basically sells Russell Crowe into slavery for fighting for fun, for entertainment. And he makes his way back to Rome and uh, decides that you know what we're going to take this to the to the to the arena, and at the end battle between Joaquin Phoenix and Russell Crowe, um, of course, Joaquin Phoenix goes down in a in a lump because he's no match for Russell Crowe. Let's be honest. Yeah. A- after he has already tried to wound Russell Crowe beforehand, and it's just a great movie. And as I said, Russell Crowe, Joaquin Phoenix, Richard Harris. Now, this movie won Best Picture, and it won a Best Actor Oscar for uh, Russell Crowe. Phoenix was nominated for Supporting Actor. It was also nominated for Director and Original Screenplay. This is another Ridley Scott movie who also directed Napoleon. Wasn't wasn't there a little bit of controversy around Russell Crowe's Oscar win? I can't recall it. I think I think uh, because that came out the same time as the Sixth Sense. I think there was some sort of controversy. I have to look that up to yeah. be totally honest with you. But and and you know there's another there's another side story with um, his wife and his son that yeah. once he was kind of taken out, they went and burned his fields, burned his house, and killed his wife and his son. And that just adds more fuel to the flame on this great period movie. And as I said, if you nail it right. You're going to get some Oscars, yep. and this one, once again, was nominated for five Oscars, one, two. It's a pretty good track record. Yeah, uh, it's one of my favorites. All right, your next one is one of my favorites as well. All right, so my next period piece movie is Sherlock Holmes, starring Robert Downey Jr., Jude Law, Rachel McAdams, Mark Strong, and Eddie Marson. This is directed by Guy Ritchie, and the cinematographer is Philippe Rousselet. And it's just a, a basic Sherlock Holmes tale. Yeah, it, oh, it's Sherlock Holmes, but more of a comedy one because Robert Downey Jr. is just amazing. You know, he can. I don't know if he's like purposely trying to be funny, but it comes off at you know his um, basically his cockiness, his uh, swagger is it just comes off as hysterical. You know what I like the most about this movie, other than his performance, is how they would film how he came up with certain things you know what i'm talking oh, about yeah when, when he when like it's the opening scene when he's fighting yeah and he's like going through in his brain okay i need to do this and he's gonna do this i loved those parts of this movie yeah but, but this movie revolves around um uh, mark strong's character is the villain in this one i uh his name's black i believe it's black yeah and so basically he's uh 
going to basically take over Parliament and destroy everybody. And he's supposed to be coming off as some sort of dark magician or not magician, but like this uh, magic person. But basically it's science that does everything that he's doing because this is right. You know, it's right at the turn of the century where, you know, it's the uh, industrial evolution's, you know, kind of going. We're still kind of learning about science. Yes. And so, you know, smart people have all the advantage. Uh, Sherlock Holmes, uh, Mark Strong character. And then even in the other movies, uh, Moriarty, the main villain throughout all of Sherlock Holmes. But, uh, you know, this one, um, in the end, uh, Mark Strong and Robert Downey Jr. have their little face-off on London Bridge, which is being built <laughs> at the time. Um, you know, he's in love with uh, Rachel McAdams' character, but in the that's end, a know, weird who, relationship. Who's, who's not in love with Rachel right? McAdams? But that's just a weird relationship throughout yeah. the whole movie. It's an, uh, there's another cat and mouse type of uh, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's an interesting relationship, and then also the relationship between him and Jude Law. <laughs> yeah, brothers who love and hate each other at the same yeah, time. Yeah, it's it's amazing, and it's, it, that's a good movie as well. Uh, the second one was really good too. Oh yeah, with Game of Shadows is that the name of it? Yes, the second one. And they have talked about a third one. Yeah, actually, uh, I've I, heard I, it. I think it's in the. I think I heard that it's uh, in the works. They're working on a script. For is it now. in like pre-production? Is that what we call that? Yes, pre-production. So it could sit there for years. Yes, <laughs> but. Yeah, uh, both of those movies are fabulous. Love both yeah. of them. Great. All right, and my last one, another Oscar winner and another battle movie, 1995's Braveheart. It's a very good movie. Rated R, Mel Gibson, Sophie Marceau, and this one did some damage at the Oscars. Best picture, best director, best original screenplay, best cinematography, Best effects, sound effects, editing, and best makeup. It cleaned up. Yeah. And, and that was the thing, too, with this one. As I said, if you nail it just right and like him or hate him, Mel Gibson has that tendency on his movies, some of his movies, to yeah, do that. It's, it's either spot on or it's why am I watching this? He did it in this one. He did it in um, The Passion of the Christ. Or no, yeah, The Passion of the Christ. Yeah, he directed that one. And then Apocalypto. I don't know if you ever saw that one. I haven't seen all of it. That entire movie, I mean, that has to deal with the... The, the Mayans. The Mayans and everything. It's in their ma- their language. There's parts of that That's whole movie that are exactly that way. I can't Yeah, because you got to read. Yeah, sorry. I I know it's probably a source, but Keep I shouldn't have brought it up. Dave. Jeez. I shouldn't have brought it up. But anyway, back to Braveheart. The story of William Wallace... And once again, a man who just loves his country. Yeah, everything about it. He when he and when he loves, he he, he goes hard to paint. Um, Sophie Marceau. Uh, it, it's just a great story. And I, honestly, I think one of the things that did this did it for me with this movie mostly the 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 cinematography in it, the the surroundings, the locations. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just gorgeous and and seeing this and then these big epic huge battles and he was another great tactician see i learned that yep i learned that from more you know but he was another brilliant tactician when it came to stuff like this and just to see how he was basically double crossed as well and then took it out on everybody else (laughs) and at the end of the movie 
which to this day for me, honestly, is probably some of the toughest stuff to watch I've ever seen on film where he's being tortured and drawn and quartered and everything and and just what they're doing to him. And you know what they're doing to him. And you don't see it, but you can feel it, and yeah. you know what he's doing. And then at the end, when it given the description about how his arms and legs and everything was shipped to different ends of uh, the UK, that, you, you know you've made someone angry when they chop you up and then send you to different locations. To prove a point. Yeah. <laughs> but and there are still people to this day that if you go to Scotland, you can go on Braveheart tours and you can go to all these. That's the other thing. Once again, history. You can go to all of these battlefields where they actually occurred and you can see this and, and learn more of the story. And it's just amazing. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention the Irish. Yeah, because he he's like, I guess if you can have comic relief in a movie like this, he's about <laughs> as close as you're going to get. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it's just a, a beautiful sweeping movie. And this is a movie that is I mean, it was country before country wasn't when country wasn't cool, because this movie is three hours long. Yeah. Th- you know, this, you know, back in 1995. Unheard there was, of there. Yeah, there was no three hour movies. The longest one. Before that, I think was um, uh, Gone with the Wind. It was long. It was long, and there was an inter- there was a built-in intermission. Even the movie Patton has a built-in yes, intermission. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. And it wasn't three hours long. No, but this movie is worth every minute of those three hours. If you've never seen they it, start putting intermissions in movies. They again. need to. <laughs> if you've never seen it, all right, in the souls, everyone, quiet down. Dave and Ryan's movie review segment three and action. What's up? This segment goes better than Ryan Reynolds' attempt at the Green Lantern. There's no question that today's movie technology has advanced past our wildest dreams. Sometimes a special effect in a movie looks so real it can take your breath away. Like the very first time the T-Rex appeared in Jurassic Park. But for every jaw-dropping moment, we do get a CGI debacle, like the Scorpion King in Mummy Returns. Sometimes it's better to stray away from CGI. We all remember the mustache ride that DC gave us with Henry Cavill and Justice League. Right, Dave? These DC jokes just write themselves. <laughs> Let's compare the two methods. It's practical versus CGI. So it's time for really one of my favorite segments because I walk out of this segment every time we're done with it. I I know more. <laughs> you like to learn, which is scary because one of these times I'm going to forget where I live. However, yeah. what's only, really scary is you're learning it from me. Yeah, there's only so much I can hold in my brain. So <laughs> uh, I, I I enjoy letting Ryan handle this one because this is like his forte. This is where he lives and breathes. Uh, cinematography and effects and how it works in movies and what they do to make things work. So uh, we're going to talk once again about CGI versus practical effects. And we've we've covered this one a couple of different times, talked yep. about a couple of different movies. So we're going to break it down and talk about this one. And I'm just going to kind of let Ryan lead the charge. So take it away. All right. So for this segment, I figured uh, we're going to focus on one spe- uh, particular uh, effect. Okay. You know, In the past, we've talked about multiple ones, but I really want to dive deep into this one. And we're going to be talking about uh, 
force perspective. Now, some people might know what this is. Some people might not. Basically, what this is, is when uh, you make something look bigger or smaller than it actually is. Um, a lot, they do it a lot in photography where uh, you see people with like uh, action figures or uh, hot wheel cars, you know, making it look like a, an old time gas station or like the action, like they're the same height as action figures and they're like high fiving or something like that. That's what this is. Uh, but this is, has to do with uh, movies. And uh, one of the, the uh, original ones that did a great job with this uh, and actually won a few awards for it was. Darby O'Gill and the Little People. Now, this is a Disney movie, and Dave, you're allowed. You, have you this seen this movie. movie? I love this yes, movie. Yes, it is amazing. In fact, if I remember correctly, it is Sean Connery's first film. Yes. Okay. Yeah, so um, basically what it is is uh, there's a guy who basically finds the leprechauns, and uh, you know, there's a king of the leprechaun, and like there's a whole village, and um, you know, basically... This, this movie was uh, made in the 60s. And so they, you know, they didn't have computers. So everything was uh, uh, basically uh, practical. And the way that they did that was uh, they would have, um, they'd build a set to where it was kind of elongated, where they would put one person far away from the camera where they wanted it to look small and the other person kind of closer and then put them uh put the camera angle where it would look like they were next to each other. And you might be thinking, well, how is that possible? Well, you know how sometimes you see like, uh, a f like a, like a drone shot or something. And there's p like, uh, there's people walking, um, on a hillside and it kind of pans around them. And it looks like the mountains are in the very, very background are moving really slow. That's kind of the same, uh, effect that's going on here. But um, actually, fun fact, the very first time um, that this was used um, in an effect that wasn't for a movie was an uh, old uh, smoking commercial oh. where uh, they would have this guy was sitting at a desk and uh, this, they had uh, a girl uh, standing next to the camera and then they used a mirror behind the uh the, the table where the guy was sitting so the re you would see the girl's reflection in the mirror and it was tiny so it looked like she was dancing on the table and um the one that i mentioned when you started talking about this stuff elf yes elf does this yep. when when buddy the elf is in the classroom yep. Yep. and you will ferrell is a tall guy yes and they use this amazingly to make him look even more gigantic and everyone else just it's small but you know like i said um what how they used to do it was they'd lock the camera down in a sp one spot don't move the camera shoot what you need to shoot make sure nobody uh overdoes uh sort of like a uh comes too close to the camera basically so the perspective would change and then uh one that actually revolutionized everything and i'm sure a lot of you in the back of your minds thinking this but it was lord of the rings the entire lord of the rings uh the way they did the uh, force perspective, they basically changed the game because they added a moving camera. And the way that they did this was um, uh, a, a good example is when Frodo and Gandalf are sitting in the kitchen and the camera moves around the table. They had uh, uh, Ian McKean's character. He was also on a dolly. And so when the camera moved, he would move parallel with the camera. So he would always stay in the same uh the same perspective he was always gigantic 
And uh, the other ways they got away with that was with him closer to the camera, they would use little tiny apples and little tiny coffee mugs or mugs. And then for uh, Elijah Wood, Frodo, um, they would use giant apples and giant coffee mugs or mugs for him far away from the camera. So it add it gave that added effect to it where Ian McKean's character, you know, he's in he's in the Hobbiton or the Shire, and uh, all all these little glasses, and Frodo is with all these everything's basically get gigantic to him. Well, there's that, and then also with Gimli, yeah, Gimli the dwarf is his salt. Sala from the Indiana Jones movies. Yeah. So he is a full-size man, and they made him, they they turned him short. And it's it's amazing because what it does is it, it just, it, it messes with your mind. Yeah. And you can do that and make it work. Yeah. I, I know um, since then, you know, they've used uh, CGI to make people short like that. Like, um, uh, there was a Snow White movie. It had Kristen Stewart in it. Okay. And um, it had uh, Nick Frost in it uh, from uh, Shaun of the Dead. Okay. And he basically he played a dwarf. You know, they use CGI to make him that small. To make him smaller. Well, and they did that also with Chris Evans in the Captain America movie. Yes. In the first one. Well, with him, they basically, they just they, changed did his they face. Morphed, well, didn't they morph his head on somebody else's yes, body, Yes, yes. So they, they had another actor play... Uh, Cap, uh, Captain America right. before, and they just basically imposed Chris Evans' face on him. And, and then the other thing that came to mind when we were talking about this is a lot of um, theme parks. Disneyland, yeah. Disney World are built on forced perspective. Yeah, they're like the, I know uh, Cinderella's Castle is forced perspective. It's meant to look humongous. It is, because the uh, the one in Disney World is... And how they did it was, I believe it's a darker color paint on the bottom, and the paint gets lighter as it goes yep. up. So and it looks the, like it's farther away. And the windows get smaller. Yeah. So, I, I mean, it you can mess with your mind as much as you want to, I guess. Yeah. And bend it a little bit. So, and this is really, I mean, we talked about the CGI part, but this is really just a practical effect. Yeah, it, it's a practical effect that's uh, been used forever since movies were made. Um, uh, one of the, you know, one of the first, uh, movies, the, the moon, yeah. uh, where you shoot a rocket to the moon, they use force perspective as well to make, uh, like the aliens or the creatures or whatever, or look bigger than they actually were. So you never know when you're watching a movie, if that's the way it really is, or if it's just somebody messing with your mind. Yeah. So that's a cool thing. And, and like I said, once again, I've learned something. Out of this segment. And knowing is half the battle. It is, G.I. Joe. <laughs> and that's why I love this segment so much, because you do. You learn a lot in this segment. All right, that's going to do it for us as we're out of time. We'll talk next week. And it's going to be time to get into some holiday movies. Yeah, we'll have each We'll each have our uh, top ten holiday movies. Now that Thanksgiving's over, we can start talking about Christmas. Christmas. All right, so thank you so much for joining us. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Dave and Ryan's movie review. Ah, the hell with it. Send it in. We're done. See you next week.